Thanks, team. Before I invite uh, David up, I uh, want to really uh, say, way to go, Tom Patton. Uh, what you have done for this week uh, and your team, way to go, missions team. It's just amazing that during COVID, uh, we can have a global missions emphasis and conference and, uh, and still have it be very effective of uh, making us consider the nation. So, so well done, Tom. I don't need that, Jason. Let me introduce uh, David Cassidy. Uh, not only uh, is he a pastor for 40 years, but he's also a dear friend. Uh, David's been a pastor uh, up in Christ Community in Franklin. He's also been a pastor in the United Kingdom. He's been a pastor in Texas. He's been a pastor in Kentucky. Um, some things about David is uh, he and his wife, Tony, actually share a lot in common with, with uh, Lori and me. Uh, his wife has horses. Laurie has horses. They have golden retrievers. We have golden retrievers. He's a Cub fan. I'm a Cub fan. But then this, well, no, he's a cook. He's a chef. Like, he's legit. I'm a little hack, right? But, but he's actually been to culinary school. But then the similarities start to drop off. Uh, he's a Packers fan. I'm a Steelers fan. Uh, he's a Longhorn fan. What? I guess that's because he pastored in Austin. You don't need to ask me what fan I am, right? Uh, he's an Arsenal fan in the Premier League. <laughs> I'm a Man City fan. How are we even friends? It is the grace of God. Uh, they have three children. We have three children. Uh, we believe that you're really going to be blessed by what David has to share with us from God's Word this morning. So, Dave, come on up. Bob and I also go to the same barber, and uh, there is that added dimension. <laughs> hey, it's a great joy uh, to be with you. I thank the Lord for you. I thank the Lord for uh, your pastor, Bob, and... Uh, we are friends, and it's a great, uh, great privilege to get to labor with him. I thank the Lord for your missions pastor, Tom Patton, greatest missions pastor in all the land, doing amazing, amazing work. And I thank the Lord for you and the legacy of this church in global missions, planting mission leaders all around the nations of the world, planting churches around the world, and planting churches here locally. Um, that includes, of course, Red Mountain. We're a member of our pastoral team for many years. Charles Johnson is now serving as pastor. And uh, so he came down this last year. So we feel a deep sense of connection with all of you, and we're thankful for the opportunity to do that, do that ministry with you. This morning, I'd like to ask you to stand with me and read together from the second psalm. It's one of the most important psalms. And we're only going to read through verse 8, not the entire psalm. But um, I want to bring a particular couple of verses to your attention this morning. So Psalm 2, beginning in verse 1. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. 
The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. And then in these next couple of verses, the king who is the anointed one who is enthroned in Zion speaks. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, Yahweh said to the king, to the anointed, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me. And I will make the nations your inheritance and the ends of the earth your possession. This is the word of the Lord. Let's, uh, good Anglicans would have said, thanks be to God, but there we go. So let's, uh, let's, uh, let's pray together, shall we? Lord, we thank you for your word and we thank you for the Holy Spirit who inspired David's tongue that was the pen of a ready writer to put them to parchment. And we pray that same Holy Spirit would write them on the tablets of our heart in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's be seated together. It's a great privilege to be with you in this missions conference this whole week, which is devoted to this remarkable effort which God has entrusted to you in the spread of the good news of Jesus in all of the world. You and I have an opportunity to enter into a partnership in the promise that God has made to his son. And we see that promise here in this text. This text has for us an insight into a conversation that is going on in eternity. We get access into a place that is privileged. TMZ, uh, that great gossip site, um, (laughs) the laughter is giving you away. (laughs) TMZ so you can keep up with the Kardashians and, and uh, all of your favorite Hollywood stars, stands for 30-mile zone. That's the 30-mile zone around some studios in Hollywood. And what they promise you is some kind of access into the behind-the-scenes things that are going on, the intimate conversations and goings-on of the people that are the real stars. The Bible has something even deeper with regard to access. There are a few places in the Scripture where the the curtains fall back and we get to step in and overhear a conversation between the members of the Holy Trinity, especially between the Father and the Son. There are various places like this in the Bible, just a few. Psalm 40, you hear Christ coming into the world saying to His Father, a body you have prepared for me. In the volume of the book, it is written of me, and I'm going to do your will. And in Isaiah 49, you hear the Father say to to the Son, I am going to raise you up to save Israel and Judah, but it's too small a thing for you to just save Israel and Judah. I'm going to give you as a light to the world so my salvation can come to the ends of the earth. And here in Psalm 2, we have another one of these conversations. You hear the Father saying something to his Christ, and you hear how the Christ responds to his anointed. That's what the word anointed means, the Christ. And he is the king who reigns. And you hear this conversation that goes all the way back into eternity. 
I have established my king on Zion, my holy hill. And then you hear the king say this, I'm going to tell you what I heard my father say. I'm going to tell you the decree of Yahweh. Don't miss that word decree. That word decree is critical. The decree of God is God's established purpose from before time began. It's what God has determined will come to pass. It will surely come to pass. And Jesus says in this text, I will tell you of the decree that my father spoke even before the cosmos existed. He said to me, ask of me and I will give you the nations as your inheritance and the ends of the earth as your possession. My friends, I want to talk to you just briefly this morning about our motivation for engagement in mission. Because here's the truth. If the only thing that motivates us is the need that we see or a sermon that we hear, we're going to begin to burn out because there's only so much time and there's only so much resource we can invest. And if you even are part of a mission team or you become a missionary and you go to other nations, you go to other places, you run into impediments and difficulties. You run into the whole shift of culture that you have to undergo, whether that's language or politics or bureaucracy, and you begin to wear out. Everything is different and confusing. I moved overseas when I was 19. I met my wife overseas. She's an American, but we met there. We had to go all that way because she grew up in Kentucky and I grew up in Indiana and you don't cross the Ohio ocean to date ever. So we had to get across an ocean to actually meet up over there in Oxford. And then we moved to London to plant a church in 1981. And when we got to London, we thought, well, the first thing we need to do is is get to know the underground. Some of you have been there. You've been on the underground. And we made the mistake of doing that during rush hour. So we get on there, all these people, 17 million of my closest friends. We're all jammed onto there. There's no place to sit. We're hanging on. I've only been married for a year, just trying to be a a caring husband, you know, I've got my young bride with me. It's a long time ago. I had hair. It was the last century. We were very young and, and she's looking very scared. And I said, well, I'm pat her hand. And, and after about a minute, she looked up at me and she said, David, I said, yeah, she goes, that's not my hand. <laughs> sure enough, sure enough, it was attached to someone else. And, and, and that person never said anything. I don't know what was going on with that, but uh, that's a different sermon. The next stop was ours, and it would have been anyway. (laughs) When you get over into these other situations, you have so many difficulties to move through. And when we stay right here, we invest our energy and our time and our finances. Why do we do what we do? Well, the need is great. Well, yes, the need is great, but the need will always be great. Why do we do what we do? I will surely tell of the decree. What the Father said before time began. Son, ask of me and I will give you the nations as your inheritance and the ends of the earth as your possession. Here Yahweh says to the Christ who he will raise from the dead, ask me. 
You know, one of the things we forget about the Lord Jesus Christ is that he prays. He prays. He asks. He prays for you today. The scriptures say he ever lives to intercede for you. And that's why we will be completely and totally and finally renovated, saved, salvaged. We have been saved. We're being saved. We shall be saved. The grace that began the work in us is the grace that will complete it in us. The reason you're a Christian now is because Jesus interceded for you at the cross. The reason you're going to be a Christian next week is because Jesus intercedes for you at the Father's right hand. He is praying for you. He prays for the church. He prays for our holiness. He prays for our unity. He prays for our power in the Spirit to go on the mission to which He's entrusted us. And here's something else He's asking for. Father, I'm asking for the nations as my inheritance and the ends of the earth as my possession. Do you believe that Jesus' prayers are answered? Now see if it was Pastor Bob's or mine, you might think, well, I I don't know. I don't know. Maybe they'll get answered. But if Jesus himself is praying, and the reason for the prayer he's praying is because his father has said to him, ask me, I'll give you the nations as your inheritance. That's a prayer that we can count on being answered. That prayer has been being answered in history. Sometimes I think we grow discouraged and dismayed because when we look around us, we see these nations in an uproar and the people's devising a vain thing. I don't need to tell you this morning that the nations are in an uproar, that there are rogue rulers, that there are dark powers, that there are violent forces in the world, not to mention pandemic problems. There's great dismay, discouragement, fear, Wars and rumors of wars, all of these things beset us all the time. And then closer to home, you hear people say, well, you know, the church is in decline. And you look over in Europe and you say, so many people have abandoned the faith. And so we see decline. But let me tell you something this morning, my friends. Actually, despite whatever is going on in the world, we hear the Father say in this text, as for me... I've established my king on Mount Zion, my holy hill. Jesus Christ is Lord. And that Lord has been praying for 2,000 years for the nations to become his inheritance and the ends of the earth his possession. And that means you and I live right now where we are at a strategic moment in the fulfillment of his prayer. Our world is in a desperate situation. But that also means we have a significant strategic opportunity. The average age of the world population this morning is 28. The median Christian in the world today is 24 years old. The median Christian in the world today is not male, but female. And she's not white. She's brown or black. She doesn't live in Europe or North America. She lives in sub-Saharan Africa or Asia or South America. She doesn't have the World Wide Web. She has difficulty finding clean water. She is frequently in a community of believers who are suffering persecution. She hasn't read your blog or mine, doesn't care. And she is intent on bringing the gospel to the village next to her and leading people as much as she can to Jesus, telling everyone she knows everywhere she goes about the good news of Jesus Christ. That's all she lives for and cares for. And you can be nervous about the fact that she's a woman. And I've got even wilder news for you. She's not a Presbyterian. She's probably a Pentecostal. 
And if that shakes you up, that's okay. It's good to shake as a Presbyterian once in a while. What am I telling you? What I'm telling you is that at the start of the 20th century, everything I just told you was not true. That the majority of the Christian population was in North America and it was in Europe. And in the last 100 years, because churches like Oak Mountain and churches around the United States and around the world have invested in sending people out into all the world and found apostolic leaders and beautiful city hubs all over the developing world because people have sacrificed so much, now the, the whole world has shifted and Christianity is now around the world the most widely scattered faith among the global populations, more than any other faith in the world and more than at any point in the history of the growth of the Christian church. It started with the apostles. It began with people like Paul who was preaching. And when Paul began preaching, there were crosses all over the Roman Empire. 300 years later, when Augustine was preaching, there were still crosses all over the Roman Empire. But the difference was when Paul was preaching, people were hanging on them. And by the time Augustine was preaching, those crosses were on the tops of buildings, calling people into sanctuary and worship. It changed the world. It moved forward with people like Methodius and Cyril, moving up into the Russian-speaking world. It moved forward through remarkable people that have sacrificed everything, like Lottie Moon and others, Hudson Taylor and William Carey, David Livingston, all of these people who gave everything they had because Jesus is praying for the nations as his inheritance and the ends of the earth as his possession. We are part of this apostolic witness. And you go, yeah, but it feels like it's slowing down. I don't really, I, I mean, really, David, are you telling me that what, what the opposition that's rising in China and the obstinate resistance we still see in the Middle East, are you telling me that even in those places eventually the bright light of the gospel of Jesus is going to shine in such a way that those places too will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God, that Europe will come alive again? Europe's already been re-evangelized once. It was overrun by the barbarians. It was re-evangelized by Irish monks. And since my middle name is Patrick, I love those guys. The world has been re-evangelized in places. That's what God has done. Are you telling me he's going to do it? Of course he's going to do it. See, our problem is we just don't know where we are in the story. Some of us would like to hope that Jesus would just come back, like next Tuesday. And some people believe he will. I don't know when he's going to come back. You don't know when he's going to come back. It might not be for another 10,000 years. Now you're discouraged, aren't you? It might not be for another 10,000 years. If Jesus doesn't come back for another 10,000 years, you know what that makes us? The early church. Let that sink in on you. That means that 500 years from now, there'll be some guy sitting in a church history final exam at RTS Tehran going, Athanasius, Ambrose, Augustine, Flayhart. I just can't keep these church fathers straight. <laughs> Dang it. I'm going to pass this exam. The truth is, we don't know where we are in a story that has its roots in eternity when the Father issued a decree. 
Yahweh issued a decree, the eternal purpose of God. I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. That's a phrase Paul says refers to the resurrection of the dead. That the tomb in the garden was a womb that gave birth to the firstborn of the dead, who was the Christ, who conquered death, conquered dark powers, released us from our sins by his blood, who ascends to the Father's right hand and reigns there and pours out his Holy Spirit and is interceding and he is asking for the nations of the world to be given to him. And there isn't a single nation, there isn't a single people, there isn't a single language group that is outside the scope and the reach of his prayer. And God the Holy Spirit would never suffer to have applied to his name the dignity that he was not able to convert the world. You think the nations won't come? Jesus said a greater than Solomon is here. The nations came to Solomon. Do you think whole cities can't be converted? Jonah saw a whole city converted, and Jesus said a greater than Jonah is here. You're waiting for a temple to be rebuilt somewhere? Jesus said a greater than the temple is here. My friends, you and I are part of a divine purpose that God has established to give to the world to his son until the day that every knee bows and every tongue confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's what he's, I knew I'd get seven amens out of that. I knew I would. I thought if I teed that up, you did it. And you and I have that amen in our heart. Because again, here's the truth. If I say here's the need, and, it's, and it is great, and that's all we go for, it will burn you out because the need turns out to be people. And those people can be obstinate and difficult. Unlike people in Birmingham, people in other places can be obstinate and difficult. And the poverty and the ignorance and the lack of technology and the inaccessibility to, to clean water and food, these problems are deeply entrenched. The corruption in Certain governments, these things are deeply entrenched and they do not easily shift. They don't easily change. Sometimes they take hundreds of years. Sometimes it takes generations of work. But who at the beginning of the 20th century said by the end of the 20th century, I want to meet the prophet who said at the beginning of the 20th century, by the end of the 20th century, the nation sending more missionaries per capita than any other nation in the world will be South Korea. Because at the start of the 20th century, only about a percentage and a half of the population of South Korea were Christians. But now, the largest Presbyterian church, largest Methodist church, largest Baptist church, largest Pentecostal church in the world are all in Korea. God is changing the world. And he's changing the world through servants like you who every day get up and partner with Jesus in the fulfillment of his prayer, ask of me and I will give you the nations as your inheritance and the ends of the earth as your possession. All these flags you see flying, they just represent peoples, not lines on a map. They represent languages, all the language groups of India, all the language groups of China. They represent the Koreans. They represent the Italians. They represent the Irish. They represent the Germans. These are people from all over the world and they are cherished by God for God so loved the world. When we moved to London, we settled on the south side. Our first home was between Camberwell and Brixton. 
in a place called Denmark Hill. And there in Denmark Hill was the College of the Salvation Army. Now, when you think of the Salvation Army, you may only think of their really quite remarkable benevolence work, and thank God for it. But when it began, the Salvation Army was a community of some of the most radical evangelistic people you could ever imagine in your life, breaking across the scene in late 19th and early 20th century Great Britain, led by, founded by William and Catherine Booth. They were, they were remarkable evangelists that made many people uncomfortable. They went to the least with the gospel. They went to the most marginalized. They went to the most impoverished. They went to the darkest areas with the good news, the bright light of Jesus. And they gave themselves to it. And they recruited thousands of people to join them in an army of Jesus to bring the good news of Jesus to everyone they knew everywhere they'd go. And I got to know, walking past the Salvation Army Training College, seeing the statue of Catherine Booth and William Booth, some of their work and some of their sermons. And maybe one of the greatest sermons William Booth ever preached to a large assembly of Salvation Army officers, he got to that climactic moment of the message, and he looked out at this huge assembly, a couple of thousand Salvationists, and he looked out at them and he said, how wide is the world? And back came a shout from these thousands. 25,000 miles, the circumference of the globe, which is 24,912 miles. But back came the shout. They just rounded it up. 25,000 miles. And Booth said, that is how wide our embrace must be. How wide is the vision of Oak Mountain Presbyterian? Well, you may have a parish, but you're not parochial. How wide is your embrace? It's as wide as the world. Because there isn't any place in the circumference of that globe that Jesus does not claim as his own. There is no people group. There is no tribe. There is no language across that 25,000 miles that will not join in the celebration that we read around this very same throne on which the Christ is, is, is reigning in the book of Revelation when it says every tribe and every tongue and every people and every nation under heaven will gather together and with all their collective cultures and languages say, worthy is the Lamb who was slain. And they'll give Him glory. And what a day that will be. And that means you and I can have a completely different perspective. How wide is the world? How wide is your embrace? Every single one of those 25,000 miles Japan, China, the Philippines, Mexico, Costa Rica, Peru, Chile. We could go on. Every single place. Some of those peoples that you can think of right now in the world who are your enemies are your future brothers and sisters. And this means everything about us can change because, my friends, we are dealing with with an eternal decree that God will bring to pass for the sake of people who are themselves going to dwell in eternity. C.S. Lewis said, you've never met an ordinary person. In his great sermon, The Weight of Glory, he reminds us that what we are dealing with every single day are immortals. The most dull and boring person you could ever meet, Lewis says in that sermon, is someone who, if you met them, if you could see them in eternity, would be a creature which, if you encountered them in 
a dream you would be terrified of or so beautiful you'd be tempted to worship them. And all through life we are, with everyone we meet, directing people to one of those two ends. Eternity is real. There is more to you than meets the eye. And there is more to the world than meets the eye. And there is more to our world than the trouble it's in right now. And that is why we do what we do for the sake of his name, that his prayer would be answered. Because people that are made in his image are loved by him and he died for them. And so, of course, we give ourselves to this. We give everything we have, everything we are. As Jim Elliott said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Eternity is real. Where are you spending eternity? Christ died for you, and he died for the world. When I lived in Oxford, I used to walk down St. Giles Street, and every day I walked past a, a, a plaque, a commemorative plaque on the, uh, on, the, on the wall there where someone was buried behind a wall because in Britain they ran out of dirt and they started burying people in the walls. And it said, remember, it's a well-known saying, remember me as you pass by, as you are now, so once was I. As I am now, so you will be. Prepare for death. You follow me. Well, that's a bit grim. Most expect Scrooge to pop out from behind a door. Or the Morleys. But one day, I was walking past and some clever undergraduate had spray painted underneath it. To follow you, I'm not content until I know which way you went. They had it cleaned up by late in the afternoon. Eternity is real. Where will you spend it? Will you spend it beholding the beauty of Christ? There's only one reason you can spend eternity beholding the beauty of Jesus, and it's not because of anything you have done. It's because of everything he has done. He lived a perfect life that we could not live. He died the death we deserved, and he died it for us. And he did this shedding his blood to forgive us our sins. He was called the Lamb of God because when a worshiper came to present himself before God, he brought that lamb as the representative and the priest would inspect the lamb. The priest would inspect the lamb, not the worshiper. And the lamb was perfect and that made the worshiper acceptable. You know what makes us perfect before God today? It's not us, it's the lamb. The perfect Son of God makes you and me acceptable to God. You and me who are sinners. That's what sanctifies the world. It's Jesus' blood. That's what the nations need is Christ who gave himself for us, who shed his blood for us. That's what the whole world needs to hear, that the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And he's praying this morning for you and for the nations to be his inheritance. And my friends, his prayer is going to be answered. And whether it takes a thousand years or a hundred thousand years, his prayer will be answered. And the whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. So what will you do with that? Well, you need to change your perspective and make sure it's global. How wide is your embrace? Oh, man, you guys would be lousy Salvation Army people, I'm telling you. Lousy Salvationists. How wide is your embrace? 
I knew you'd get there. I knew you would. You got to change your perspective. You got to change your praying because now you're not just praying for something. You're praying with someone. You're, a, you're praying in agreement with Jesus for the nations. This is his prayer. And you can change your giving. Next week, you're going to make pledges. And you go, really? Do I have to do that? No, you get to do that. Listen, I'm so thankful you're doing that. I was a missionary. I had to raise support. I lived over there. People made promises to send me money. Some of them did. Some of them made promises and didn't fulfill it. We spent most of the first couple of years dying by faith. Don't make promises you can't keep, but keep the promises you make. And when you do that, when you give, you are partnering with the Holy Spirit to send secret agents of the kingdom of God to subvert the idols of the world and see the kingdom of Jesus Christ expanded in all the nations. My friends, you are part of a purpose that goes all the way back before the cosmos existed when the Father turned to the Son and said, let me tell you this decree. I'm going to give you the nations. And the son said, I'll take them. You're part of that. Praise God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you sent Jesus to die for us, to rise for us, to reign over us, to come again. And until that day dawns, keep us engaged in his mission so that his prayer for the whole world to be his inheritance will be fulfilled. I thank you and bless you for the missionaries I saw standing all over this room, for those who are joining us online, for people all over the globe who've been impacted by the sacrificial giving and the stewardship of the vision that you've given to Oak Mountain Church. I thank you for this church. I thank you for their commitment to the cause of the gospel. And I ask you to bless them beyond anything they've ever known and to pour your grace to them and through them so that the prayer of Jesus is answered. And Jesus, receive the nations, everyone, as your inheritance, the ends of the earth, as your possession. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning for the benediction?